People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and welcome to People's Poetry Podcast. This is episode one of series five. This is the poetry podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, an aspiring poet and teacher alike, as I travel the UK talking to established poets, as well as poets who have just taken their first steps into the world of poetry, as I try to find out why it is we have just such a love affair with poetry in this country. This is a podcast aimed not just at those who already like poetry, but those who never really considered it before. I want to show you that there's something in the world of poetry written for you. So series five has been the first series recorded post lockdown so I had a lot of fun getting back out on the road meeting poets in their hometowns and chatting poetry. And I know I say it every series but what a lineup we've got for you this series. This episode saw me travel back up to Nottingham. I love my trips to the Midlands. There's a lot of talented poets that reside in the Midlands. Shout out to all of you in the Midlands that regularly interact with the podcast. And the sun was shining and the pub was beautiful and the poet was amazing. This episode's featured poet is the wonderfully talented Leanne Moden. We spoke about her brand new collection on Burn and I Books called Get Over Yourself. We spoke about poetry as a means of expression, poetry offering fresh perspective on things, and this wonderful new collection of Leanne's Get Over Yourself, which just has a lovely warm tone throughout it. So this episode's featured poet joins me in Nottingham. Well, I, I join you in Nottingham uh, on a lovely sunny day. Um, it's Leanne Moden. Thank you for getting involved, for sitting and chatting to me. Yeah, thanks for having me. You are the second person I've managed to speak to. That is, uh, was one of our writing challenge winners as well uh, during yeah. the lockdown. I think that's how I sort of discovered your, your poetry. Uh, we're going to talk about Get Over Yourself, newly released on Burning Eye Books. But as I was just saying before we switched on the microphone, I'd like to sort of get a feel for your poetic journey. Um, so best to start at, at the very start. I mean, before you even started writing poetry, can you sort of pinpoint or remember um, when you first became aware of poetry? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, so obviously, like a lot of people, we did poetry at school. Um, and while it wasn't necessarily my favourite yeah. bit, um, I was sort of, I'm really, I was really enamoured when I was little with telling stories and like the, for, for me the poems that I've enjoyed the most are the poems that tell stories and, and, and take you on like a bit of a journey. Um, so even before doing poetry at school I remember having um, a book of poetry um, that my mum would read to me cool. um, and those, those are really, really lovely just um, poems that were your traditional like rhyming couplets yeah. like we're telling you a story but it's in rhyme kind of thing so uh, yeah that's kind of like my first in but like I say um, when I was younger what I really wanted to do was write stories and write novels and be a book writer yeah. but my problem is is that I get I get really into like the world building so my first page of every story was like really really detailed really really into it and then you turn the page and then it was like oh and then a dragon ate her <laughs> the end can't I just asked. can't commit <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. So that's, that's a similar story to me, actually. I, I think when I was really little, I wanted to be an author, but yeah, I don't feel I've got the patience to see. No. The word novel scares me. Like yeah. reading them is hard enough, let alone uh, writing one, committing yeah. yourself. So, what triggered the transition into writing your own poetry? Then, um, like, when did you start? How long have you been writing for? So I did a degree in history at university. I went to University of Hertfordshire um, and it was one of those humanities degrees where you could pick other bits and pieces to do like a okay. minor in yeah. and one of them was creative writing and I thought, oh, I'll do this for a laugh. I like writing stories, etc. Um, and we had uh, a number of teachers who were really, really into poetry and really great at sort of conveying the vast range of poetry that is available in, you know, like poetry that is uh, traditional and like new contemporary poetry and that really sort of ignited in me this desire to have a go myself so probably started writing poetry properly at about sort of 18 19 um, and found that suddenly there was a way to tell stories that fit my impatience and fit my um the way that i wanted to write things yeah so yeah so i did some writing at university and then 
after university, I had the inevitable six-month period of unemployment and mm. malaise and woe and thinking that I'd never get anywhere in my life. Um, so when that happened to me, I uh, started a little blog, um, writing my poems up on the internet. Um, and a friend of mine said to me, oh, I really like your poems. You should come to this open mic night. Uh, in Norwich, which was a uh, spoken word open mic night, 2010 this was. Um, and we went along to a few of them, really enjoyed like the variety of stuff that people were sharing. And then maybe the third or fourth time we went along, my friend um, like accidentally on purpose signed me up for right. the open mic without my knowledge. Baptism of fire. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when your name's called out, you can't not because it'd be impolite you know yeah. what I mean so uh, uh, so yeah so that was my first introduction to like doing poems on stage and there's something really like narcissistically wonderful about doing a poem in front of people and then I'm going yeah that was good yeah so yeah and then I never stopped <laughs> <laughs> how did you find obviously studying history and then doing something quite creative because I, I remember my A levels I was constantly told off for writing history essays like an English essay mm. and then English essays like a history essay because that in some ways they're a bit chalk and cheese aren't they because one's very matter of fact and the other one is down to interpretation and nuance yeah I don't know I think I think that's a bit of a false dichotomy to be honest yeah. with you I feel like they're it's all just telling stories isn't it it's all just interpreting the world around us in a sort of linear narrative so yeah. um so yeah a lot of the poems that I started writing when I started out writing were based on like historical stories or like historical artifacts or like going along to museums and finding something like in the back there's this wonderful museum in Wisbeach where I'm from um, that has not one but two um, mummified hands just okay. random Egyptian mummified hands so I remember writing a poem about that and about how they would come to life and touch all the exhibits while nobody was looking <laughs> you know proper like weird yeah. stuff yeah. but that's quite cool, though. Yeah. How did they end up in that museum? Egyptian hands. <laughs> it's just one of those, you know, those museums where it's just like some random posh bloke from the 18th century just collected right. a load of stuff. Yeah, okay. And then just, yeah, so must have really liked mummified hands. <laughs> a Victorian hoarder, basically. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. it, okay. yeah. <laughs> so 2015, you had your collection liaisons. Was that your debut collection? Yes. It was, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was just talking before recording, saying I was lucky enough to, to pick up one before they, they all disappeared off your website. How long did it take you to sort of be in a position to put a collection like, like that together? Because, um, I mean, it explores, as it says, uh, historic femininities. Like, how long were you sort of collecting those ideas? Or was it the sort of thing where you started writing a few poems and you went, actually, I'm onto something here? No, it definitely wasn't that. <laughs> um, what I found usually happens to me is um, I write a lot of things that feel quite disparate and quite separate um, and don't think anything of it in terms of there being any sort of underlying theme. And then when you, when somebody gives you the opportunity to put some poems together in a collection, you start looking over the things that you've written over the past sort of few years or so and go, actually, I'm just writing about the same thing from yeah. different angles. Um, and I don't know about you know other writers but for me I have these like cycles of preoccupations so within the sort of four years or so that it took me to write the stuff for liaisons I was really interested in like uh, third and fourth wave feminism and the idea of sort of um, how women are viewed in society but also talking about those kinds of things in a way that isn't you know like um uh, aggressive and a way of like talking about it through humour to make yeah. people understand the sort of underlying um, motivations of feminism but in a way that go people laugh first and then they think oh yeah you know so yeah and I think what you said a moment ago um, about writing very separate things and bringing them together that's, that's quite a nice description of, of liaisons because when you when you do look back at what you've read you think yeah they are all connected because of that theme but mm. they're also varied as well like, you know some some sort of about witchcraft and, mm -hmm. and some about uh, you know like a modern day take on uh, the, the Coleridge poem I was mm -hmm. going to speak about how you've got these intertextual poems in there the Armitage and the, the Coleridge that's a really nice way to sort of 
modernise these the old sentiments that are in some of these poems. And I read when I was digging about on the internet, as I as I usually do before I meet people. Um, you spoke before in an interview about uh, poetry being a, a fresh perspective. So I mean that fits the bill beautifully in that regard. But you also said something which is exactly the reason I started this podcast um, about poetry as a means of expression um, and how you wanted to open it up to a broad audience. Those intertextual poems, that's a great way to do that, I think. I mean, is that an idea you had for a while or was it just you, you sort of revisited those poems and thought, actually, I'm going to write something about that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a little bit of both, really. My um, One of my favourite things to do, I, I kind of believe that creativity is a muscle, so you need to um, exercise it, you know, regularly in yeah. order to sort of build up your you know, how to um, be a practising poet. You can't be a practising poet unless you're writing um, often. Um, and one of my favourite exercises to do is to, like, take a poem that you love and rewrite it from a different angle or rewrite it in a different style or, say, if it's a, a poem that's a sonnet, maybe rewrite it as a villanelle just to, like, challenge yourself to yeah. do things. Because I find that I'm, like, a really goal-oriented person and I'm, like, if I don't have like sort of an idea of what I want to achieve with something then it probably won't get done so um, with both those poems that you mentioned it was a case of um, setting myself a little challenge to see what would come of it and then finding out whether or not that makes a good poem or not and when I say goal orientated I don't necessarily mean today I'm going to write a poem and it's going to be so good that I'm going to put it in a pamphlet it's all about sort of experimenting and yeah. playing and seeing what comes out of it because um I kind of think that for me, poetry isn't necessarily about the finished product so much as about getting towards that. Um, right. And for a lot of times, I don't really know what I think about a subject until I've explored it by writing a poem about it. Yeah, so, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until I read Liaisons and, and seen that you, you sort of had a fresh take on these poems, I thought, what a good idea. And I'm sure there's going to be fellow English teachers kicking themselves. Yeah. Cause like me they haven't done that already but equally I, I imagine there's loads of English teachers going Jim we do that all the time mate like, yeah. but yeah I thought that was great I thought that's definitely something I'm going to maybe try with, with students yeah. as well that could be quite a great thing to do um, on the idea of fresh perspective though I, I always um, talk about this Shelley quote um, poetry lifts the veil from the hidden beauty of the world uh, and makes familiar objects as if they were not familiar and I think your poetry does that a lot because they're not sort of you don't speak about odd things or, or things that are so far removed from everybody's lives you, you are giving everyday things that fresh perspective I think especially in Get Over Yourself I think there's a lot of poems like that yeah I think that that's important because I think for I do a lot of workshops and I do a lot of working with um, community groups and doing poetry from that angle yeah. and I think it's really important to tell people and to show people that poetry can and should be about anything you like and that everybody's perspective is important and valuable and deserving of being explored and, and people being excited about what you have to bring to the table. Yeah. Um, I think for me one of the reasons why poetry didn't necessarily grab me at school was because a lot of the poets that we talked about were um, old dead white men yeah. and it didn't feel relevant to me being you know like from a working class background in a rural sort of East Anglian little market town you yeah. know so what I do um, what I try to do is to say that you know wh wherever you come from whatever your perspective is you can write poetry about that and it doesn't have to be it's still valuable you know yeah nice no, it's great great sentiment like to pick a few poems um, I will talk more about Get Over Yourselves but while we're on liaisons um, it's not like that in the movies I really enjoyed uh, Brixton 2013 is probably one of my favourite sort of poems about a gig now that I've read it I thought I thought you captured just so many moments that I've, I've shared at gig so well but at the end My Daughter is probably my favourite poem in it how, how long does it take to write a poem like that because that was My Daughter was it was lovely lovely way to end as well the collection on Thank you. Um, it's that was actually a poem that I wrote um, in response to. I was given the opportunity to be um, one of the poets performing at an event for International Women's Day. Oh, 2012, 2013, quite a long time ago, um, and in Peterborough. And I wanted to talk about, you know, 
the the ideas and the societal pressures that are put onto women often by you know other women and it's like an intergenerational thing of this idea of um, mothers grandmothers daughters all having these expectations of the younger generation and I wanted to sort of kick against that a bit Um, and I also wanted it to be something that um, leaves you on because I'm I'm, I'm always trying to struggle between this idea of like wanting to be incredibly sincere um, in the poetry that I write and also like want this motivation to leave people on a joke you know so I think that that was kind of the mechanism behind what that poem yeah what I wanted to do in that poem I think you did that perfectly because Mm. I came away feeling empowered reading it, but then I also was, you know, chuckled at quite a few of the lines in it. But I thought it brought together all the themes and ideas to do with femininity um, um, really well. Um, and it, like, I've got a niece. I mean, she's five, um, and she regularly says to me, "I say, oh, do you want to watch the the football? Do you want to watch the cricket or whatever's on?" Just happens to be sports. That's really toxic, isn't it? But, and she'll go, uh, she'll go, ah, oh, sports for boys, and mm. and I'm, I still think. We've come so far in 2020, um, you know, especially with lots of social issues, but equality being one of them between the sexes. And you just think, well, she's getting that from somewhere and it's not at home. Yeah. So something at school maybe or so poems like that are really important. I think, you know, when she's a little bit older to, Mm. to, to send that message, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's also important to remember that progress is like a bit of a pendulum. So um, for every sort of step forward, there's sort of like half a step back and a reaction to that. So we have to keep sort of swinging the pendulum yeah. towards the the right side in order to counteract those sort of backlashes. Yeah. So before, I don't know if it was, was it before liaisons or after liaisons? Skip, skip, skip. Was that the first thing you did? No, uh, no, no. It wasn't. So that's a really recent thing. Okay. So, so do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because it sounds right up my street. Yeah. But I haven't seen it, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, this is something that I wrote in uh, end of 2018, beginning of 2019. Um, and it's basically it's an idea that had been knocking around in my head for all oh, about six or seven years to write a long form um, like show really an hour um, about my experiences with music and identity and how the music that we listen to in our teenage years sort of shapes who we are yeah, as people um, and it's it's basically about how um, it's semi-autobiographical and it's about how um, I as a 15 year old accidentally became a teenage goth um, <laughs> and all the um, sort of trials and tribulations that sort of centre around trying to find yourself in again a small market town in the middle of nowhere and, and find your people and, and sort of uh, find yourself and also find um, sort of forge your identity in opposition to the people who aren't like you as well and I think that that's a really interesting for me the um, sort of explo- the, the exploration of sort of um, teenage violence and, te- and violence among teenage girls is, is like a really interesting sort of theme that came out of that right. when, when writing about sort of the memories that I had of being you know chased by you know groups and um getting attacked and all these kinds of things that were you know part of growing up and being a goth and and getting shouted at in the street and all this kind of thing um so there was yeah it originally it was quite uh it was something that was very much about identity but then it became about um the clashing of different identities um yeah, and it was it was sort of like a bit of a weird journey because you start writing about your own story and it brings up all these memories yeah. and all these feelings and thoughts. But yeah, it was it was really interesting to try and channel that into something that made sense as a as a narrative and um, yeah, a real challenge. Is it uh, is it something you're going to be doing more of uh, when when things go back to the normal? I mean, I hope so. We did. Um, I did ten days up at Edinburgh Fringe last year, um, and at the moment, I'm working with uh, a director and a musician and a producer Amazing. to see if we can make it a bit more like theatrey, so yeah. that it can go and be its own thing with with like the. Um, the aim, the goal is to see if we can sort of tour it 
um, next year. But obviously that was something that we were hoping to do this year. Yeah. And then pl- plans cancelled. But um, but yeah, I think there's there's still some sort of mileage in um, sort of producing it and, and getting it out to a wider oh, audience. Yeah, I mean... You, you say goth in my world it was mod I, I, I sort of got into the whole mod thing and then that quickly turned into Russell Brand-esque indie boy and mm. but all, that, all those subcultures fascinated me growing up as well and, yeah. and sort of everyone having their, their uniform and their identity absolutely and, and I'm really interested in whether that still happens to mm. teenagers these days because obviously the way that we consume music now is so different and the way that people sort of forge their identities is not necessarily so much tied to the music that they like. It's more about sort of like the kind of pop culture that they like yeah. as a whole. I, I'd, I'd agree. I, I regularly have this debate. I was going to say argument, but it is a debate with, with my mates. And I, I personally, I think the last sort of subculture we had in England was that wave of indie bands sort of 2007, like with the Kooks and that. They're, yeah. the, they're the last sort of group of teenagers I can remember. Uh, that had their sort of own unique mm. look and music and yeah. I mean you still get mods you still get goths you still get um, you know rockers of some sort but but like brand new subcultures yeah I think you might be right yeah uh, yeah modern teenagers yeah and we definitely still do get goths when we moved to Nottingham I was really really pleased because there's like goth subculture in the yeah. Midlands is still like completely thriving so it's really wonderful to see that they're still I feel like in the Midlands yeah wherever I go sort of subculture seems to be doing well yeah. like, uh, I lived in Northampton for three years and that was sort of a melting pot of I think it's, it's a little bit closer to London but it's it is the Midlands it was it was a melting pot of all different subcultures yeah. so no, I enjoyed that. I'd quite, quite like to see that if that does tour. That sounds uh, right up my street, as I said. And mm. am I right in saying Dan Weber worked with you on that, who I'm talking to later? Yeah, he did. Yeah, Amazing. he did a bit of consulting on that for me. So uh, yeah, Dan's Dan's a lovely, lovely bloke. Awesome. Yeah, that's two two people, and I didn't know there was that link there. But that's mm. quite cool. Um, so when I was digging about on the internet, I I saw as part of the skip 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 um, like YouTube promotion thing, you had recovering which is a poem that made it into your new collection uh, get over yourself so are there are there many that came from from that that ended up in there i mean you're just talking about um being chased mm. there's a poem yeah uh, about being chased isn't there yes. in the collection yeah. so but there are a few that sort of made it over into the yeah so i think there's sort of maybe five or six of the poems from the show um have made it into this collection what i when i spoke to burning eye books um about what i wanted to do for this collection um they were sort of they they sort of posed the question of whether i wanted to do a script of the show because the things were happening at roughly the same time but because I'm in a position where I wanted the show to evolve and become something different um, I thought it'd be really nice to have some of the poems in there but not the whole thing because um, with show scripts I think they're a really brilliant idea when the show is finished but again you know I don't feel like this show is completely finished yet but there are some poems in it that I'm really proud of and that I thought I really wanted to sh- sort of showcase as part of as part of yeah. the book so I think it's a nice way of doing it as well because you know I take myself for example I've read it and if I come and see it there's going to be a few of the poems I'm familiar with so it's like going to see a band you like play play a song you know isn't yeah. it in a way there's a couple of people on Burn and I, I think Jess Green did it that way yeah because uh, I went to see her show after I read the collection and yeah it was it was amazing mm. so I think that's a good way to to do it so we've got to talk about get over yourself I absolutely loved it I sort of read it I think it was last week week before mm. and you got some some great people on the back you know championing it uh, yeah. one of them being Jess Green I just mentioned but I couldn't get what Mark Griss said sort of out of my head because he said it feels like an old friend come around to visit and it does the, the the words I wrote down when I was trying to describe it was it's very warm and knowing mm. but not smug it's encouraging yeah so it's like you know you're wise, wise old owl uh, in certain regards to parts of life, but you're not forcing it down anyone's throat. There's that warm, um, encouraging tone to the poems, and I, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Where did the name come from then, Get Over Yourself? So we've already said you, you write all these different poems and then you potentially see a theme. Um, I mean, first of all, how would you describe it to people that haven't read it? Um, yeah. And yeah, where did you settle on that name? Because that could be quite a hard thing, I think. 
Yeah, yeah, and um, it's really funny actually. I, I, I sort of nobody's asked me about the title, which is really strange because I think it's it could be quite an aggressive sort of title. The the sort of get over yourself, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And that was kind of the the irony of it is these poems are about um, belonging and about identity mm. and about finding yourself and finding your place in the world and that's kind of um but but not doing that in you know like too much of a uh, pretentious way yeah, so yeah. that's really where the where the title comes from right. it's like well you know you are you are important but don't get too big for your boots and it's also like a bit of a reference to sort of growing up where I did and growing up sort of within a big sort of working class family you're you're sort of you're encouraged to be yourself but to not get too big for your boots yeah. you know and that's that's something that's kind of sort of explored um in a sort of subtextual way in in the book I think staying grounded yeah it? that's right and that yeah. sort of fits in with what I was saying like you can tell you've lived a life and you've you've done some things but you're not you're not arrogant or smug about it it's yes it, it, it makes sense now cool. um the cover is possibly my favorite from 2020 isn't it lovely what a great cover um, isn't it? who did the cover so um my friend hannah radenkova she's um a freelance illustrator um we met uh, at Marshland High School, uh, Year Seven Maths class, um, and we've been best friends ever since. Amazing. Um, and she's got just got this really beautiful, like um, what I wanted from the cover was it to feel like somebody doodling on a notebook. Yeah. And um, she's done such a cracking job, yeah. and it's it's it really stands out. And so many people have said how much they love it, and she, she's just an incredible designer and an illustrator and i'm really really pleased that she was able to do the cover for well, me well that's a genuinely probably my favorite i mean we're not at the end yet but yeah. it's certainly number one at the moment in terms of covers um even better that you, you met her at school yeah. i love stories like that really nice so my poem list was huge as i said i like to pick out a couple um and just have a chat about them so i had to like sort of whittle it down to um a few poems starstruck is is one that i loved because it's like an old school romantic love poem and I don't feel like there's enough of them done well anymore and it kind of reminded me of uh, Sing Song, Daljit Nagra that we, that we teach on the school syllabus. Just a lovely poem about with some, with some really nice sort of extended metaphor imagery. Um, yeah, how long does it take to write a poem like that? Because I always find when I try to, I go, right, I've got this idea, I'm going to do a love poem and I'm going to have space references. I'll get past one stanza and I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> so that must have been, is that a poem you had to keep coming back to or was that just an idea you had? Well, um, <laughs> well. so that poem was actually a commission from a friend of mine called Katie. She wanted me to write a poem for her wedding. Right. So um, it was uh, something that had a time limit on it because um, she wanted me to perform it at her wedding. Um, so we had, I think I had three months to put it together um, and... I am obsessed by space. Mm. Um, I love space. There are some space poems, I think, in liaisons as well. I'm just, it's its one of my go-to things. Why wouldn't you be obsessed with it? It's, it's, it's the amazing. most wonderful thing, yeah. yeah. So, um, so that sort of uh, came quite naturally to... Uh-oh. <laughs> that came quite naturally to uh, think about um, love and space being very similar, this idea of infinity and this idea of, um, you know, something um, romantic but not romanticised, yeah. you know? Um, and I'm, I'm very, very keen on rhyming. I love a bit of rhyme. Mm. Um, I love being able to sort of give myself the constraint of rhyme and meter to try and um, work within those constraints I really, really like. Um, and it was one of those poems that just once I started, it sort of just, or it just it's just sort of flowed out. Right. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I, I've, performed it at their wedding and uh, made the groom cry so I hope that that was a, a positive <laughs> thing. That went down amazingly. Yeah. yeah and since then um, that poem has been requested by about seven or eight people to read at their own weddings as well so it's kind of got a life of its own sort of outside of 
what I do with it, which is really lovely and yeah. kind of like a, um, a sort of testament to it being an all right poem, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, it was number one on my list. I had to speak oh. about that. Uh, Seven Ways to Please Your Man, I thought was uh, really, really enjoyable, very funny. Cool. Um, you've got sort of romantic love poems like Strastruck, you've got uh, poems. Uh, with a bit of comedy in like seven ways to please your man but then you've got poems like everyone gets a piece of the pie and fish face which mm. you know they've got kind of important messages in as well yeah. and i know you performed did you perform both or one of those for burning eye on the i know you did the pie yeah i think it might have been both, both. Yeah, yeah i think so fish face though is probably the most interesting one um because you use this mermaid imagery and you're sort of commenting on I guess society and, and, and how, I mean you could probably explain it better than, than I can but I think that's a good one to, to speak about. Yeah, so it's kind of a poem about how um, people view each other and the ideas around body image and about what makes something beautiful. That's what I was looking um, for, body yeah. image, that <laughs> phrase, yeah, yeah. Um, because I think that um, it's really interesting that we always characterise mermaids as these beautiful, skinny, white, blonde, you know, creatures, when in reality, I think if there were to be a mermaid, it would be something that was very much more alien, very mm. much more fishy, very much more scaly. Um, and so the poem sort of unfolds in what would happen if we met a real mermaid and how would that change what society thinks of, you know, the body ideal. Um, and it's sort of particularly for women, but I think more and more the body ideals and body image is something that everybody is concerned with and that everybody feels a pull to be a certain way so um, for me that poem is kind of for everyone to say look if the body ideal wasn't this way then it would be another way and it still wouldn't fit what the majority of people look like so even though it's hard it's best to just go your own way and not worry about it yeah (laughs) but I loved I loved how the sort of description of the mermaid was sort of gritty and, and pragmatic and practical you know and then it made kind of made me feel embarrassed to be a human by the end of it because I could like the imagery was great like the catwalks with the gills on and the mm-hmm. green hair dye and shops and even though it sounds ludicrous speaking about it now when you read the poem you go yeah that's exactly what would happen there'd yeah. be so many donuts going out and missing the point totally yeah. so yeah I thought it was a great poem Thank you. um and then Small Town Blues uh, and Tuesday Evening at 10.46 and Guideline, which I guess sort of links back to what we were talking about a moment ago, like, you know, autobiographical um, and about things that happened to you growing up. So I take it Tuesday Evening at 10.46, you were quite literally chased from yeah. the shop. That's, yeah, that's about yeah. true. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. Um, bad times. <laughs> For no apparent reason as well. Just because we were wearing black, yeah, you know. <laughs> See, it, uh, when I was reading it, mine wasn't because uh, it was it's an off license in that yeah. poem, isn't it? But mine wasn't there. It was it was like a, a park called Goddington that we've got in Alfreton, and I, I could just see these sort of boys in polo shirts chasing us and our Fred Perry's. So. Yeah, yeah, no, but yeah, I thought that was great. And guidelines, sort of, I, I, I put it in the same uh, area as uh, Brixton, 2013, from yeah. your first collection. I mean, you must be a big music fan. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm I'm definitely a, a music fan of an era, and mm-hmm. it's an era that, you know, I feel like most people would be embarrassed by my music tastes now because it's all very like new metal emo, like mid two thousands kind of um, business. Like if Linkin Park is playing, I am a hundred percent there, you know. Um, but I think that you know. I feel like there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure and you like what you like and for me it's sort of all those things that don't they're not necessarily the best examples of the best music in the world but they're music that remind me of a time and a place and people and how I was feeling at that time and not necessarily great feelings as well but I think that there's something to be said for nostalgia as a sort of machine to remind you that you've been in beautiful situations before and you've also been in terrible situations before and things get better and things move on and there's there's always a way out yeah um, i like that idea nostalgia it's nostalgia is always saying i've i don't want to say struggled with but mm. it's kind of like a double-edged sword because it, it can 
can take you back to some of the best times of your life, but you can also remember stuff you'd rather not. I guess. Yeah, and I think that nostalgia is fine as long as you don't wallow in it, as long as you're using it as a mechanism to move forward or yeah. to move on. I think that that's the using it just as something to go, oh, you know, things aren't like they used to yeah. be. Um, they never will be, and that's fine. It's okay for things to be different. That's an easy trap to fall in. Yeah, as well, it I is. Think. Yeah. yeah, I can't not bring it up as it is the, the snooker world championships at the moment. And looking about on YouTube, you've got a poem that's not in the collection called "Big Break." Yes. Um, and I sort of briefly read on a train up here because I thought, oh, I haven't, I haven't looked up anything to ask you about that. But I saw you said, which blows my mind, anyone could have a schoolgirl crush on John Virgo, but it's about John Virgo. And I remember the programme, because Jim Davidson used to present yeah, it with yeah. him, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. What, what an interesting thing to write a poem about. I just wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about a big break. Yeah, so this was another <laughs> challenge. Like, a lot of my poems come out of, like, setting myself challenges or accepting challenges from other people. I really like this idea. Um, <laughs> I'm going I'm to start doing this. Yeah. It's, it's good fun. Um, this was uh, a friend of mine challenged me to write a poem about a sport that I wasn't familiar with. And obviously the first one that came to mind was snooker because I don't know anything really about mm. snooker. Apart from... And when I was thinking about snooker, the first thing that came to mind was Big Break. And then... You know, which for those who don't know is um, an early 90s sort of tea time, Saturday tea time game show uh, based around snooker. And um, one An of amazing the amazing theme tune. Yeah, well. yeah. It's uh, I'm I'm certain that it would not hold up to scrutiny today if you found <laughs> old episodes because no. nothing ever does. But um, the one of the people in that show recurring character was John Virgo who is a, was a professional snooker player and would do like trick shots um, and then the contestants would have to copy these trick shots um, and I remember being sort of 10 11 years old and being like completely enamored with this sort of talent and skill and not necessarily the bloke himself because he's like a, a big old bloke in a waistcoat with a big grey beard yeah. but um, just that um, being impressed by the idea that you could be so good at something that nobody else could beat you you yeah. know yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the poem came out of that yeah it's, it's like I love these cool little ideas that just work their way onto the page I'm gonna yeah. have to start setting myself some challenges um, did John Virgo ever ever read the poem? Or well, um, a friend a friend of mine tweeted it to him, but yeah. he never responded. So oh. um, he must get loads of fan mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm really like in two minds about that poem because obviously um, it's quite a fun piece, but like a lot of people, personalities from that era have, you know, subsequently been shown to be problematic yeah. in yeah, various yeah. ways. So I'm um, I'm sort of. On, on the button on the to when, yeah. when but I'm sure it'll be fine he <laughs> seems nice you know <laughs> uh, you know what I've never heard anything all I've heard about him is that he can be a bit grumpy and if that's the worst that's allowed, it, then that's isn't fine it? Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. <laughs> I mean having to do all those trick shots I imagine yeah. it would be uh, so your writing process um, obviously it's kind of selfish because like as an aspiring poet myself I like talking to other poets uh, about how they uh, approach a poem um, and how often they, they sort of write but I also think um, it's interesting for students as well to listen to as I said before the recording so in terms of ideas I mean I think you sort of already answered it but generating your ideas do you ever start writing a poem without an idea or is it always you've got that challenge that someone set you or, or something to focus on so I like to come up poems from lots of different angles so sometimes um, the form will be the thing that sets it off yeah. so um, one of my favorite challenges is these um, like really constrained writing techniques I don't know if you're aware of um, like lipograms yeah. um, and univocalisms and things like that where you you really constrain yourself and you say, in this poem, I'm not going to use the letter E. Mm. Or in this poem, we're only going to use the vowel O. Yeah. And then sort of see what comes out of that. And that's quite an interesting way of like coming outside of your own... Um, your own sort of general practice you sometimes you get stuck in writing in the same old ways so it's really nice to like find a form um like write a sestina and see what happens yeah. you know kind of thing villanelle is always the one that's the, the, that kills me normally trying, yeah. to write, trying to write a villanelle well i think 
the villanelle is really interesting because it's easy to write a mediocre one but the thing is because you've got that refrain the the trick is to get the refrain to mean something different every time yeah. you say it and that's so hard and when you're um when you've got the uh, do not go gentle into that good night as you're kind of what you're basing it off i mean how could you write anything that's anywhere close to that poem because it's beautiful yeah <laughs> i read a raymond antrobus uh villanelle in his yeah. collection life of me I cannot remember the name mm. and I just thought what is the point as <laughs> 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 so I read this I said that is so good why, why am I even trying this but yeah. but then you sort of sleep on it you're like right now I'm going to go back at it it yeah. inspires you the next yeah. day but well that's but that's I think the trouble there's there's something really useful in using like other writers work as like a springboard for inspiration but you also have to remember that you know you're not comparing your work to yeah. their work yeah. and I think that's the trick and if you learn how to do that then let me know because <laughs> I feel that way every day <laughs> I suspect I, I already know what your answer is going to be to this question but it does seem that every time I ask it uh, it's different mm. but you spoke earlier about the importance of writing every day so so clearly you do is that uh, do you have a set time or do you write in bursts or is it just sort of at any point in the day what's what's your routine around writing so I make sure that I spend like a little tiny bit of time like maybe 10 or 15 minutes um, just after breakfast every day just doing like a bit of a free write so just sticking some ideas down sticking it all in a notebook no pressure no worries no like not looking at form not looking at anything just so that you're keeping your hand in in terms yeah. of writing something um and some days that's all i'll do because i'm busy i'm doing other stuff um but some days you'll get that free write and it's 10 minutes and when the little timer goes you're like oh my god i want to keep doing this or, oh my god there's a little phrase in there that needs pulling out and yeah. needs doing something with and then it's a case of like trying to find a bit of time to to do something different with that and to pull that out and I'm really lucky because I'm sort of freelance now so I set my own hours so there is time for me to go and then in this little slot today I'm going to work on this poem and see what comes out um, but I'd be lying to you if I said that I was like regimented and did like 10 hours work every day yeah. it's like sometimes you get lost in a poem you get lost in that creative flow and and you look up and four hours have gone by and you've just been writing the whole time and then some days you struggle to get like 10 or 15 minutes worth of writing done and you you come away from it and you've got two words and one of the words is misspelled and you just <laughs> feel like am I even allowed to be called a poet but I think that it's cumulative right yeah. so it's not necessarily like one bad day writing doesn't mean that's the end you need to tip the table over and and go and do something different you know i think uh, like i said i think creativity is a muscle and i think some days you'll have bad days if you're a runner you'll have bad days running sometimes or um so so yeah so i think it's a case of just doing little and often and seeing what develops from that and then if you get into a position where you're like no I need to continue on this or no I want this to I want to see where this goes it's about it's about play and it's about experimentation and it's about writing for the joy of the process of writing yeah like I never sit down and go today I need to have written a poem by the end of the day because that's the thing that kills my creativity the fastest is to go right I'm going to say by the end of today I'll have two poems done I won't, I'll hardly write a word. So I just have to sort of sneak up on myself almost. Uh, how, how are you with like deadlines, like publishing deadlines, stuff like that? Do you find that hinders your creative process or? Well, um, I'm also like uh, my, before I was like freelance poetry person, I was like an admin assistant for 10 years. So I'm actually fairly good at deadlines right. just because like having something as long as they're like externally set, like if somebody says to me, I would like you to do a poem within the next month, then that's fine. But if I'm the one setting the deadlines, then, you know, it's not going to happen essentially. Um, so I think that that speaks to a bit of a, fa a fear of being told off, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, I, I do have to, again, like, sort of almost have the 
deadline in the corner of like my peripherals and then go oh you know I'm just I'm just playing around we'll just see what happens and then again you know sort of sneak around myself almost sneak around my own brain in order to get things done quite like the idea of just generating ideas though I mean, mm. a lot of people have been talking about free writing especially during lockdown yeah and last year I've, I've not really considered doing that before mm. I think you're right I've got you me and not just me but other people I spoke to get too caught up in the form or something like that sometimes and yeah. that does hinder your ideas but that's quite nice 10 minutes a day just pure ideas I like that yeah I also find that like a lot of times I will write a poem just to get my ideas down and oftentimes the poem that I write first is not the poem as it happens mm. like sometimes I write something in a form and then go okay there's a little idea in here but it needs something else and then it's a case of going how would this look if it was a sonnet or how would this look if I just took that first line and then went off at an angle you know so a lot of times um, the poems that end up being the poems in the collection or the poems that happen in the show are like maybe a third or a fourth attempt at what I'm trying to say so it's so it's kind of about allowing yourself the space to uh, not make mistakes but to draft and redraft yeah. and come at things from different angles and again it's that experimentation and going this is okay but it's not it's not quite what I wanted to say and I think that comes back down to that idea of not really knowing what my what my arguments are until they're on the page and then going actually I've written this but this isn't what I think so yeah. it needs redoing you know that leads me on perfectly to what I was going to ask next um, so you've got the, the the writing process but I feel like the editing side of things it's definitely my Achilles heel mm -hmm. um, and you've talked about you know coming back to a poem and I get that part but when when you're editing what's what, what is it you look for what is it you do you've got this idea it's in some sort of form what would be the first thing you do to to the poem in this sort of editing side of, of, of writing poetry that's a really good idea um, a really good question yeah so for me one of the best ways to edit is um, by reading the poem aloud to a group of people. So I work really well in terms of my editing process by going along to open mics and going, here's a poem that I've just written, reading it out loud, and then going, actually, there's a bit in there that just doesn't make any sense, or there's a bit in there that's a super tongue twister that, you know, that shouldn't be there. Um, and because a lot of what I write is written for performance, that really makes sense to me. But even if you're a person who's writing for the page, I think reading your work aloud is a really good way to get an indication of how it feels yeah. in the mouth and how it sounds. Um, what I also think is really helpful is to um, think about um, going along to a group and um, I have a really lovely crit group there's five of us and we meet every month and we just go along take a poem and go here's here's my poem what do you guys think yeah um, and sort of having other eyes on it to go okay well you've started this metaphor here and then you've lost it and you've picked up a thread of another metaphor somewhere maybe these are two different poems and it's just about having different eyes on the work and 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 people out because sometimes you're so close to a piece of work and you've been writing it for so long that it makes perfect sense to you but if you don't have the knowledge of being inside your own brain yeah it needs redoing you I, know i had a similar experience i suppose that last month uh, i got a scriptwriter friend he likes poetry i don't think he writes it much himself but mm. i took him this poem and he's instantly gone yeah i really like it get rid of the first stanza yeah. and it was like someone's stabbing you you go what that, that whole stanza yeah. and then I read it back and I was like actually yeah that serves no purpose yeah so. and that's a really good exercise actually for um, for doing uh, editing is to think about whether your first line or your first couple of lines or your first stanza is that preamble is it is it you going right I'm about to tell you a thing <laughs> you know yeah. um, and equally your final couple of lines are they like I had a really big period of going in my final stanzas for poems. So, 
and then doing a little conclusion of like here's all the things that you need to know about what this poem is um, and that's something that you know sometimes that works in a poem sometimes that's what you need in a poem yeah. but oftentimes you know it's better and it's stronger if you if you take some things out so yeah that's a that's a really really good way of, of um, tightening things up mm. I think definitely everyone again has a totally different answer to this question it's an old poetry question but I do <laughs> like asking it how do you know when a poem is finished oh my goodness you don't <laughs> it's a more common answer than not actually yeah it's never finished but no um I think I don't know who said this, but there was um, a great writer who once said, you know, poems are never finished, they're only abandoned. Mm. And I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. Um, sometimes poems sort of... Sometimes there's a feeling that you feel and you think, OK, this tells the story that I want to tell. But there are always ways you can improve. There are always ways that you can change a poem. So really, you as the poet have to make an executive decision to say, OK, this is where I'm leaving this poem. Yeah. Um, I should rephrase that question for the future, shouldn't I? Yeah. How do you know when to leave a poem alone? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Because I think there is a danger, and I do know poets who do this, who um, constantly tinker around the edges of a poem to, to the extent that every time you hear them read it, it's slightly different. Mm. And while I think that that's a valid way of writing and creating, it also feels like it's quite an exhausting way of living your life. Um, and I'm not a perfectionist by any means, so a lot of times I go... Okay, great, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's how I know. Yeah. Oh, good. That's, that's more the approach I'd be looking to do as well. Laissez-faire. Yeah. In terms of getting published, um, I mean, everyone talks about how difficult it is and I've had some, you know, some great guests over you know, the last four series say about how rejections is a, is a part of, and part of parcel of it and it should be used as motivation. I mean how long do you think you were writing before not even your first collection but something say got published for a journal or, or, or a sort of magazine yeah so I think I was writing for maybe about three or four years before I got my first um, piece published mm. um, and part of that is just because I find it very difficult or I used to find it very difficult to put my work out there um, I wasn't sure where to place it I wasn't sure how to go about getting it to where it needed to yeah. be you know um, and part of it is just I'm I'm quite s slow to get things going like it took me five years to put out my first pamphlet and then it took another five years to put together the first collection so I think for me personally these things take a lot of time um, but I think there's a really great um, advice from I think it's Kate Fox who said this but you should aim for a hundred reje rejections per year right. um, and the idea behind that is you're aiming to be rejected so you're sending out you know um, lots of poems to lots of journals lots of magazines lots of anthologies and in the course of aiming for those rejections you're bound to get people saying yes yeah and it's it's about like it is about you know just biting the bullet and going for it a lot of times and it's about learning by doing and it's about finding a place that matches up to your voice as well I think because yeah I think that's a big part of it actually. yeah because a lot of times um, when a magazine or an anthology uh, rejects your work it's not because it's a bad poem it's because it's a poem that doesn't fit with the other poems that they've decided it doesn't necessarily fit with the theme yeah. or maybe you've done um, a poem that's a sonnet and they've already got one sonnet and they've decided that they only want one there are so many like different competing factors in there that you're not aware of so I think that um, you're remiss if you say oh I got rejected for this thing and, and also like that shouldn't stop you going back to the same places in a year's time three years time because you will have evolved as a, as a writer and a poet I've um, I think I submitted to Burning Eye maybe three or four times before um, I managed to get my foot in the there door. So yeah. yeah, so it's it's not necessarily the be all and end all if somebody says no to you in one year, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's always gonna be a no as well. So 
Yeah, I don't know if that rambly, rambly answer... No, that's, that's, yeah, that is a good <laughs> point. Uh, I, I think some people are put off when they're rejected by somewhere and, yeah. they, and then they, they don't go near it again, but yeah. that is a good piece of advice. I'd but say. it is really hard. Rejection is hard and it doesn't get easier. And there is a little part of you that goes, oh, I can't believe they did that. This is <laughs> horrible. They must hate me as a person. And it's really important to separate your personhood from your yeah. work as well I think as well there is an overwhelming uh, amount of journals and literary magazines now online that, that you can end up just firing stuff off and yeah. not really knowing much about them yeah. especially America there's loads of American ones online um, yeah. yeah and then you're, you're bound to I suppose get rejections if you're not looking up the, yeah. the publication yeah absolutely a lot of it comes down to doing your research to a certain extent and going uh, it, do they want a poem that's in this style yeah. by me because there are some anthologies and collections that are looking particularly for certain types of writers so it would be silly of me to you know submit a poem to a press that's for you know people um, LGBTQ people for example because they're not gonna you're not they're not they're not gonna post a poem by a straight woman yeah, you know yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that makes total sense yeah so I finish up uh, on asking another really broad question mm. <laughs> I mean when I started the podcast there were stories in the, the press about how poetry sales had rocketed and there was a lot more younger people turning to poetry and I do still think that is the case uh, especially during lockdown some of the amazing things I, I was seeing on Instagram uh, you know I mean even with, with our podcast we started doing the writing challenges and there's just a lot more people engaged mm. I feel especially in poetry and obviously the consequences of the pandemic uh, that a lot of arts are, are suffering uh, but I still think poetry will, will sort of always be there why the, the broad question is why why poetry why do you feel that people uh, still in 2020 are turning to this quite archaic form of literature I think the answer is because it's it's really egalitarian like I do believe that you can write poetry as long as you've got a pen and a pad of paper um, and although there are people who would tell you that you need an education and you need a background in poetry I don't think that's the case I think primarily what people want and what they're craving and what they get from poetry is that um, articulation of their own feelings when they're reading poetry is I mean it's no it's no coincidence that we turn to poetry for weddings, for funerals, yeah. when things are difficult. Um, because sometimes it's wonderful to have somebody say exactly what you're feeling. Um, and I think the reason as well, that's the reason that younger people are turning to writing poetry as well, because it gives you complete freedom to articulate your your feelings your emotions to it's creative self-expression and it's much more accessible than say visual art where you need to have you know paints or brushes or yeah. um or sculpture where you'd need some clay it's it's literally if you can write um then you can do it the ikea flat pack of a uh, yeah of creative writing that's yeah, right <laughs> So where can people find your work and if they want links to future shows or to get a copy of Go Over Yourself, where can they find you? Cool, so the easiest way to find me is to go to my website which is leannemoden.com um, and on there is uh, gig information um, and also my shop to get hold of the book as well. And you're on Instagram, things I'm like that. I'm on Instagram, yeah. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. All the social media. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's been lovely to chat to you. It's been nice to do it face-to-face, -face, get back out uh, yeah. on the road again. Thank you for sitting down and joining with us. If you want to get a copy of Go Over Yourself, uh, it's available via Burn Live Books. Leanne, thank you very much. Thanks so much. This episode's recital, of course, comes from Leanne herself, and the poem she's chosen to recite for us is from her brand-new collection, Go Over Yourself, and this is called Undefinable. Undefinable. We are a fraction, divided by zero. The movement at the edge of your vision, your final warning and your last chance. We are rusted padlocks on chain link fences, unkept promises and unread love letters. 
the smell of rotting vegetation, tobacco, raw meat. We are dead celebrities and living politicians. Spit spat onto hot pavements, the jolt that wakes you and the shadows that linger. We are railings, slick with unknown residue. Stringless guitars strummed tunelessly. A pane of glass shattered by the body of a bird. We are the scent of sex in stained sheets. A three-course meal in a shitty restaurant. A long-lost sibling with too many memories. We are a persistent, undefinable hum. A sudden drop in temperature, a sudden rise in tension. We are the tip of your tongue, the back of your mind, just beyond reach and reaching out to you. And that's just the way we like it. Ah, it's good to be back. Massive thank you to Leanne, not only for taking the time out, but for also showing me that beautiful, beautiful pub. The Canal House, I think it was called. Yeah, the Canal House. If you're in Nottingham, go and check it out, especially if it's sunny. A massive thank you, as always, to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram, at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter, at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, jbo, that's J-B-O, Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show, if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or if social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's peoplespoetrypodcast at hotmail.com. Mm-hmm.